Thank you so much for tuning in to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade, and in this podcast, we aim to talk about the evidence and reasons for why the Christian faith is true and why it is good. We do this with the hope to encourage the church to engage the culture around us and to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus as 1 Peter 3.15 commands. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Welcome back to the Defending Christianity podcast. I'm your host, Levi Dade. Again, uh, with the direction that our culture is going, it's no surprise that students who are raised in the Christian home for most or all of their lives are now leaving the faith once they go to college. And it's even less surprising when you factor in that the church is not equipping our, our young people as they should with the answers that they need to be intellectually secure in their faith. They've been told their whole lives that the Bible is true because the Bible says it is. Well, what happens when they meet a professor who says, well, the New Testament was put together by Constantine from a list of choices that he had, and he actually chose the ones that he wanted and left out the ones he didn't. Well, how are they going to answer that? Who will your children listen to after a while? They're only with you for nine, for three months and at school for nine months out of the year. So what's going to happen after a while when, when they don't have the answers that they need to uh to be intellectually grounded because their church hasn't um, given them that, that they haven't equipped them with that. They, they've just told them to have faith, you know, um, that they shouldn't ask questions, which is very ridiculous to tell a student when you think about how Jesus responded to that. The responsibility to equip our children um, is not just for the teachers or for the intellectually elite. It's for the church. It's for the parents, uh, first and foremost. And so today, that's going to be what, what we're talking about, engaging the minds of our students, how to do that. So parents, pastors, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, and anyone who has an influence over students in the church, listen up, because this one is for you. Our guest today is uh, Tim Barnett. Uh, you may know him as Mr. B. He, he works as a speaker for Stand to Reason, also known as STR since 2015. Using easy-to-follow, visually engaging presentations, Tim trains Christians to think clearly about what they believe and why they believe it. His passion and energy will help motivate you and your group to love God with all of your mind. He earned a Bachelor of Science in Physics from York University, a Bachelor of Education from the University of Ontario Institute of Technology, and a Master of Arts and Philosophy from Southern Evangelical Seminary. As some of you may recall, we had the president of Stand to Reason, Greg Cookle, on the show last year, and it's great to have another STR representative like Tim on the show. Tim, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. So can you talk a little bit about, about just your background, how you were engaged or introduced to apologetics and, mm. and uh, what you're doing in terms of ministry right now? Yeah, sure. Um, I uh, found apologetics, I tell people, a little late in life. Um, I'm always jealous when I see, you know, these 10, 11-year-olds who are, you know, familiar with arguments for why they believe what they believe, because I was into my early 20s by the time I discovered what apologetics is. So I was I was raised in the church, um, grew up going to a, a small country church, and um and I, I tell people, you know, I was related to half the congregation, you know, that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. uh, I was taught, you know, Bible stories. We did the youth group. We did Sunday school. We did all that stuff. Uh, went to the Bible camps and everything else. Um, but it wasn't until I was in university where my faith, I was, as you just read in the, in the bio there, 
Um, I was studying physics at a secular university here in the Toronto area. And uh, I had friends who were atheists and Muslim and Jewish. Toronto is a very diverse area. And, uh, and um, they began to ask me questions about my faith. They knew I went to church and on Sundays. And, and so they were curious about what I thought about different things. Creation evolution, for example, um, many, especially my atheist friends were curious how, you know, I went to church on Sunday, but yet I was studying physics and science. So how do those things come together? And to mm. be honest, I had no good answers. Uh, in fact, when they asked me, why are you a Christian? My response was because my parents are Christians. And mm. like, you know how uh, husbands, husbands get this because we often say things and we wish we could take the words back immediately after we've said something. And, uh, and, um, you know, that, that happens in marriage. Well, it happened in this situation too. And man, did I wish that I could take those words back because frankly, it was embarrassing. Um, really, I believe because my parents believe I'm supposed to be this, you know, scientific thinker. I'm supposed to be independent. And, uh, and so I went home, um, kind of a little bit like with my tail between my legs and, uh, a little ashamed and, started looking into some of the questions they were asking me. So it's funny, the questions didn't come from within, at least in, at least initially for me. They came from without, they came from the outside. And I found myself wondering, yeah, is this, is this even true? Maybe, maybe, you know, it's not, maybe something else is true. And uh, fortunately for me, I found some really intelligent Christians um, who were answering these questions. I also mm. found atheists. You know, I also found guys like Richard Dawkins and others um, who were, you know, giving a different worldview perspective, different answers. But I, I was persuaded by um, the answers that I was finding. Now, that's not to say I didn't change my view on some things, okay? Um, there was some things that I was taught as a kid and through, you know, just looking for the answers myself, I changed my mind, okay? But when it came to like the big questions of Christianity, like, does God exist? Who is Jesus? What about the resurrection? Um, I found that the answers that Christianity had to offer were pretty compelling. So um, that's kind of that's kind of my story about how I got here. And then mm -hmm. as you you and I were talking before the, the show here, um, I wanted to use it. I wanted to tell other people, you know, um, it, it's it's interesting that. I grew up in the church, in the Christian culture, and didn't know anything about apologetics. I didn't know who some of the big names were. I didn't know who like Josh McDowell was. I didn't know who Lee Strobel was. I didn't know who these, you know, these best-selling apologists were. And um, I wanted to change that landscape. And so I just started speaking. Um, that was, a, I think, a gift. Or I think we all have gifts that God's given us. And one of the gifts he's given me, I think, is to teach. And as I was growing in that skill and ability, um, I was offering, you know, for free to go speak at churches. Um, anyone who would, you know, listen kind of thing. And it started with five people, you know, in a broom closet of a church. And it grew to the point where, you know, I've had the opportunity to speak to thousands of people in, in stadiums and and then, of course, doing online ministry as well. So um, God's been good. And uh, and when we're faithful with what he's given us, he, he provides more opportunity. And that's been my experience. 
Hey man, thanks for sharing. Uh, you mentioned your online experience, uh, your online ministry, yeah. and I want to yeah. talk about that for a minute. Uh, sure. Most people sure. might recognize you as Red Pen Logic with Mr. B. So can you talk a little bit about, for people who might not even know you at all, let, let yeah. alone yeah. Red Pen Logic, uh, what that is and, and what you do? Sure. Yeah, people need to know about Red Pen Logic. Um, yes. This it's, it's interesting how God uses... Um, even uh, suffering and and circumstances that we wouldn't wish on anyone, and yet mm-hmm. he is able to use those things for some good purpose. And um, and I I found that to be true during the pandemic. So when the pandemic happened, twenty twenty uh, March of twenty twenty, I just got home from speaking at an apologetics conference, and uh, essentially they closed the border like the next day. So I'm here in Canada. And uh, much of my work has to do with um, going across the border and speaking at churches. And when they closed the border and then eventually like shut everything down um, to the point where we couldn't even meet in churches, you know, you couldn't have more than five people in your home. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just crazy even to think back on this. Um, and, and so how does a guy who speaks for a living and that's his ministry, how does he do ministry? And I started brainstorming some ideas with, with standard reason. And one of the things I was doing for fun in my living room was I uh, had this idea where I would take a red pen and apply it. Cause I used to be a full-time uh, high school teacher. So I worked three, three years in the, uh, the private school system. And then I did about three years in the public school system. And one of the things that a teacher does is they take a red pen and they correct their students work. Okay. Now the point is to correct because we care. Okay. It's not because we're trying to put the kids down. It's because we're trying, it's, it's supposed to be a a learning tool. And, Mm um, so I, I thought, man, it would be really cool if someone read pen, like the tweets that were out there and all like, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of nonsense that gets spread on social media, like a virus. Okay. And frankly, some of these memes and tweets are really easy to share, you know, and they sound good maybe at first if you don't think too deeply about them. And some of these tweets have hundreds of thousands of retweets or likes. And I just thought, man, someone needs to respond to some of this stuff, not just in a, well, I'm going to tweet back at you, but what if we like took the red pen and we applied it to the tweet and just corrected some of the errors that were in it and the logical fallacies and this kind of thing. And so I did that. I uh, took a screenshot of this person's tweet. Um, I forget which one it was now, Alyssa Milano or someone, someone famous took their tweet and just, you know, started scribbling on it. And um, I shared it on social media. And to my surprise, I mean, it was shared and, you know, reshared over and over and over again, um, hundreds of times and hundreds of likes. And I thought, man, this is needed. There's a, there's a reason why people like this kind of thing. Um, and I wasn't, uh, originally it was more aggressive. I'll be honest. I've, I've grown through the experience. I am sorry. Like my love language is sarcasm. So I have to be very careful. Um, and, uh, so I, I toned it down a little bit. I used to put grades on them. Like, here's your D minus, you know, that kind of thing and, and circle it. That probably wasn't the best approach. Um, it wasn't gracious enough. And so I, 
we've changed up the style a little bit and uh, the tone. And we just went full force on this, started sharing graphics. We started making videos um, of how the process goes. And um, again, it, overnight, things just took off with Red Pen Logic. I mean, in our first day on YouTube, we had a th over a thousand subscribers. Wow. Within the first month, we had like 10,000 subscribers. Um, when I went on, on, I started posting some stuff on TikTok. Within, within three months, we had 100,000 followers. So my point is, it's so needed in our soundbite bumper sticker world that yeah. we live in. Yeah. It's 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 a mic drop world is what it is. You see, I when we do when we teach people how to engage the culture, we talk about someone like putting down the gauntlet and then yeah. and then the other person picks up the gauntlet and that's supposed to be like a medieval idea where you have two knights and they would duel when someone picked up the gauntlet. But now we live in not a gauntlet world but a mic drop world where someone will say something and then drop the mic. And, and then they just walk away like they won, okay? So you just say something, you tweet something in 140 characters, and it's like you just won the argument. Well, yeah. hold on a second. The, you haven't, you've just made a claim. Now it's time to examine the claim. And that's what we do at Red Pen Logic. We, what I say is we assess bad thinking by using good thinking. And we try to have some fun while we're doing it. We make it playful and fun. And yeah. my hamster, our kid's hamster was in a video on the Trinity. And I think my, <laughs> our, Mor our Morky Poo made a guest appearance. I mean, we try to make it fun. And even kids are learning from these videos. So that again, sounds. there's the teaching, the creativity. And we're just trying to get people to think a little bit more clearly. And if that's all, even if an atheist watched my video, and I get lots of comments from atheists, and sometimes it's like, you know, telling me where to go, which is uh, fine. That's their opinion. Um, but other times it's, I'm, I don't agree with you, but I'm grateful for your tone, your approach. And some of them will even say, you got me thinking about this. Mm. And uh, that's the goal. That's the stone in the shoe. That is, yeah. if I can get you thinking, then my, I have succeeded with this video. I'm not trying to change everyone's mind with one three-minute video or one graphic. Sometimes that happens, but most of the time it doesn't. I'm realistic here. But if you if I can get you to think a little bit differently or you know, question something, then mission accomplished. Yeah, I I I'm gonna leave a, a link in the description to your Repin Logic YouTube and social medias, but I, I kind of want to draw a connection here. So your response was that you know, it blew up overnight. And it seems like with so many people on Twitter making a lot of harsh claims, claims towards Christianity, Christians, the Bible, etc., it's almost like Christians are almost intimidated or scared to engage with that, right? And so when they see someone like you who does, it's like, you're almost like, I don't, I don't want to say they're a hero, but someone who is who is willing to engage with that, a place where they're not. And so they're kind of like, they're instantly drawn to it because someone is finally speaking out for us and answering something that we can't answer ourselves. You probably just gave them a lot of inspiration and hope. And hopefully they see what you're doing and they're applying it to other tweets that they're reading that you might not cover. Yeah. You know, this is a really good observation. 
there's a sense in which some of these videos give you courage. Um, you wouldn't otherwise maybe say anything about this issue. Let's say abortion, for example, you're not going to tweet something or you're not going to post something, but you'll maybe repost or share something that I've said and just tell people, you know, what do you think of this? And that way, you know, I get to be the bad guy instead of you. Um, and I'm fine with that. You know, um, if they want to go about it in that, in that way, then sure. That's what, and I get messages from people privately all the time, thanking me for a video or a graphic or whatever, appreciating what I do. Um, and, and it, it allows people to share and maybe get a conversation going that maybe wouldn't have otherwise taken place. So um, Red Pen Logic is happy to to kind of be the middleman in some of those discussions. Yeah. So anybody, if, if those who are listening, please check out Red Pen Logic on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, as you mentioned. Uh, so with that, we're going to demonstrate for you for a few minutes a little bit about what tim does at at uh with red pin logic uh he's just going to respond to a few tweets as many as as we can get to in the next 10 to 15 minutes and then we will cut from there so this one is from i'm not really sure if i can pronounce this new york atheist yeah there we go yeah the gospels were anonymously written and didn't mm -hmm. start appearing until decades after the events they claimed to describe. They started as mm -hmm. oral tales and there are no original manuscripts. You can't mm -hmm. honestly claim to know the quote unquote Christ character said and what he said. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so where would you start with that? Okay. So whenever I look at a tweet like this, the first thing I want to see is, okay, is there, is there anything of value here? Like what is true and what isn't? Okay, so I'm assessing. Not every not every bad tweet um, has it's all false. Okay, so maybe there's some truth here. Um, and so let's let's just kind of go through it. The Gospels were anonymously written. Okay, well that's true and false. In fact, we did a video about this. It is true that the Gospels um, don't say you know written by Mark or written by Matthew. Okay. Um, like, like maybe Paul does in one of his letters, he'll say, you know, Paul, an apostle of God, you know, this kind of thing. He starts off by naming himself as the author. Yeah. So the gospels don't do that, but they're not a letter. They're different. They're gospels. And so they're, they're a different kind of genre than just a simple letter. And so we, we shouldn't expect that necessarily from a gospel. So how do we get the names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I mean, was that just added to them later on decades later? And the answer is no. I mean, from what we what we have in the historical record, which are manuscripts, we don't have the, it says we have no original manuscripts. The originals are actually called autographs, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and the manuscripts are copies, okay? So we don't have the original autographs, but what we do have is manuscripts that do come later. But every single time we have in, vari in, in various places in, in geographically, it is always Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Thomas. The four Gospels that are listed as Scripture are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is consensus. In fact, when we look at the manuscripts, the Gospel, according to Matthew, is often written at the beginning. And then, and then when we have, like, when we have uh, manuscripts that list more than one Gospel and we have the beginning or the end— we often see 
the next gospel, the gospel according to Luke um, or, or whatever it may be. Um, so, so it's just fascinating to me that all the evidence we have leads us to believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the authors of the original gospels. Okay. That's where the evidence points. Um, so saying that they're anonymous, well, true in the sense that it doesn't say by Matthew in the actual gospel, the, the from what manuscripts we have, it, it, we do have an indication according to Matthew. And then when we look at the list that we have, when, when say Papias or whoever, um, cites a list of, of canonical books, books that were in the canon, the, the New Testament canon, um, what we have there are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so yep. it's, it's, it's just fascinating to me that someone would make a claim like this. It's a little bit deceptive because it makes it seem like, yeah, they were anonymously written. Well, okay, but we know who wrote them because of the testimony of people close to the authors. Okay. Yeah. So they were anonymous, but we know who wrote them. And for some people that's going to be like, wait a second, then why do you say they're not anonymous? Well, that's because this is like playing a bit of a game here. Okay. <laughs> now I also think that there's some other stuff wrong with this tweet. Um, didn't start appearing until decades after. Well, that's true. Gospels were written later. Some of them were decades later. Um, but then it says they started as oral tales. That is loaded language. That's oral tradition is how all this stuff started um, back in the, you know, in the, in the first century. Um, that's how people, that's how people communicated history was through oral traditions. People pass things down from one person to another. Calling them tales though, makes it sound like it's just a fairy tale. Um, why not say they started as oral history? Why not that? Well, because this, this new yak atheist who calls him his hashtag or his, uh, his at reason and logic is not using reason and logic. Okay. It was more like oral history, not oral tales. Okay. And then he just jumps to, you can't honestly claim to know what the Christ care there's character because you, in a tale, you have a character, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, so in a tale like Marvel Avengers, you have characters like Iron Man and Spider-Man. And see, he takes Christ, which is Jesus, by the way, as a character. But we know, I mean, this almost sounds like he doesn't believe that Jesus was a historical person. Um, so there's a problem there. I think you can know a lot from oral history. Absolutely. Uh, even Bart Ehrman would agree with that. Okay. Who doesn't accept the gospels as even reliable but he would accept that. And so he's got hashtag atheism versus faith. I don't yeah. even know what that means. Um, I think he's taking faith to be blind faith there. Mm -hmm. I think if these were eyewitness testimonies first as oral history, then actually written down near the end of their lives, because they knew that that was the way they could get their, um, their history written in a way that could be passed um, um, more authoritatively. Um, then, then so be it, you know? Um, yeah. so I, I think that that's probably a good start with this one. Um, so there's some stuff we can say, yeah, okay. And then other stuff, it's like, well, why'd you call it a tale? Why a character? There's, there's an agenda here. There's a bias towards the gospels that's mm -hmm. maybe unstated, but 
it's clear from from what's written. Awesome. All right, let's uh, go on to the next one here. Richard Dawkins, how thoughtful of God to arrange matters so that wherever you happen to be born, the local religion always turns out to be the true one. Okay, uh, Richard, um, oh, this is good. Uh, so what he's referring to is the idea, you know, if you're, you're, what you believe is kind of an accident of geography. Yeah. Okay, so Tim, he was born to a Christian home, so that's why he's a Christian. And if if a Muslim was born into a Muslim home, well, that's why he's a Muslim and believes Islam is true. The problem with this thinking is it's it doesn't really get at what's true, the reasons why people hold something to be true. Could be the case that Tim, born a Christian home, turns out to, to be a Christian. Um, but it, that the real question is why be a Christian? Why is Christianity true? What he's describing is, is what might be called the genetic fallacy. Okay. The genetic fallacy is to discount a belief based on the origin of the belief or the source of the belief. That's the genetic fallacy. Yeah. And so we don't want to just write Christianity off and say it can't be true because, well, you were born to a Christian home and so and so, you know, was born into a Muslim home. So that's why that's true. No, no, no. We want to look at the reasons. Um, and so let's see. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, if he did, well, that would be evidence for Christianity over and against a religion that denies the resurrection. So it seems to me this is the genetic fallacy kind of played out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I don't know if Richard Dawkins can see that or if he's trying to be clever or or what. But certainly lots of people. I mean, even Richard Dawkins, I think, was raised into um, at least a nominally Christian home um, is, is my understanding. I could be wrong about this. And now he's an atheist. Yeah. So and he thinks atheism is true. So people convert from other faiths all the time, okay? So our argument isn't, I was born into it, therefore it's true. It's, here's our reasons, therefore it's true. Mm. Those are two different claims. So that's where I go with this one. This is funny. This one, this one, this one might be worth an actual red pen. <laughs> uh, we got one or two more depending on time. Let me sure down just a little bit here. The Soapbox Atheist tweets, Christians shouldn't talk about objective morality when their God's morality is anything but objective. Sometimes deception, incest, slavery, murder, and the rape of children are wrong, and sometimes they're not. Now, Tim, I think to one extent, I know he, he's right in that morality is, is, based, is objective, but also based on circumstance, correct? Yeah, I know that you you gave a video talk on this, so so, so you go ahead. I'm yeah, and this is where some people get confused. Just because something is objective, doesn't mean that the circumstances aren't in play. Okay, um, so for example, he says deception. Um, you know, thou shall not lie, and that's true. We shouldn't lie, but it. Uh, that's not taking all things in consideration because there are certainly times. Where like Rahab, she lied to save the spies, right? And um, when she did that, she was commended for it. In fact, her life was spared. So, so there are times there where deception 
was actually praised, but it was for a moral good. And oftentimes when you have an equation, a moral equation, it's there's there's a lot of uh, things that need to be taken into consideration. Like, am I lying for the sake of lying just because I wanted to deceive? Or am I lying to save someone's life, which I actually think is a moral good, saving someone's life. So there's goods in play here or lesser of two evils, however you want to put it. But I mean, look at incest. Where in the Bible is incest ever um, commended? Okay. Um, slavery, there's a whole there's a whole thing needs to go into that. Murder, when God kills someone, it's not murder. Um, murder is unjustified killing, but the author and creator of life can take life anytime he wants. Anytime. That's mm-hmm. my view, at least. Um, and I mean, if we think about it, how come I mean a lot of these people would be pro-choice? Um, a lot of a lot of atheists are pro-choice, not all. There are some atheists who are pro-life, but they'll mm-hmm. often use an argument like, hey, I get to do whatever I want with my body, as if like you create the being, therefore you get to do what you want with it. And and so there, and, and yet when God creates life, creates all of us and sustains all of us, when he takes life, it's like, no, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a- Yep, yep, yep. So, there's, God, there's, so God can't play God, but we can play God. It's that's kind of what right. they're pulling. Yep. That's right. Yeah. God can't play God. Um, raping children. Uh, I think they're again, confusing descriptive and prescriptive, Tim. Well, that would Bible. be the next. Yeah. That would be the next point that I would want to make on this one is let's be real clear. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean it's prescribing something. Um, and this is why there's this, there's a meme that's out there and it's like, Every reference to incest, rape, murder, uh, slavery, and it has the tabs in there. And it's all these, the Bible's filled with these tabs. And it's like some good book, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason we call it the good book is not because every detail it records is gives you the warm and fuzzies. There's a lot (laughs) of like R-rated content in the Bible. Someone uh, sent me a question privately. And I want to, uh, yeah, just read Genesis, read Joshua one judges. I mean, there's stuff in there that is like, I wouldn't read to my six-year-old. Okay. Before bed. Cause I don't want to give her nightmares. Okay. Yep. There's some, there's some stuff in there that's heavy. And, um, but that doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean it's prescribed for everyone. It's just describing what actually happened. And part of what, part of what, um, the Bible's doing there is showing us the wickedness of man. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's showing us the wickedness of man. Uh, and, and here's why God is responding. It's good. It's called the good book is because it has the gospel, the good news, despite all of our bad, despite all of our sin, God comes, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because he's on a rescue mission to seek and to save wicked men and women. Okay. So that's, it's not, it's not prescribing us to go out and sleep with, you know, our sisters or something Mm -hmm. um, or brothers. It's not, uh, it's not telling us to, it's not prescribing that we go rape children. Okay. Um, So this is a more nuanced kind of, I mean, there's a lot going on in in this, like in this one tweet that would need to be fully um, cashed out. Uh, Tim, were you going to say something about a message that you received? 
Um, you, you were talking about someone private messaged you a question. Um, and I oh, think I cut yeah, you yeah. off there. Yeah, yeah. no, no. The, the message was just, how do you, how, and this was from an atheist actually, um, but they were very sweet about it. Um, they were just wondering, how do you read some of these stories to your kid? Like, would you read the whole Bible to your kid? And my quick response, and I want to make a video about it, is no, I don't read. There's lots of stuff in there that um, I don't read to my six-year-old because I'm I mean, especially before bed or whatever. I'm not going to read about, you know, some like murdering, sacrificing their kids to Moloch or, or um, you know, these kinds of things. I mean, we could pick some of the sexual stuff. My kid, my six-year-old doesn't need to know about, you know, uh, Lot's daughters getting him drunk and then having sex with them, you know, um, or I may, or I may, you know, when it comes to David and Goliath, okay, it's a fun story, you know, but I, I, I'm not going to tell my six-year-old about the, where he takes a sword and chops off Goliath's head and prays it around. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so it's, I want to be age appropriate with some of this yeah. stuff. And, uh, and I think I can teach some of the lessons in that without going deep. And then when they reach a certain age, Hey, we can talk about these really hard passages, these difficult stories. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and go from there. So, uh, cool. that's a good one. There's lots in Timmy, there. You got time for one more? Sure. Let's do one more. All right. Let's do one more. Oh, God, uh, the tweet of God oh, says, I commit yeah. 70,000 abortions a day and no one tells me it's a sin. Yeah. So this is yeah. obviously sarcasm and, and uh, yeah. trying to make yeah. a point. Yeah, the tweet of God. Okay. Um, this, it goes back to a distinction that we just made a second ago where God can't be God. Um, and, 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 and so... We, they end up saying, okay, 70,000 abortions a day. God's the one causing all those abortions. Now, I don't know whether the number's true. I'd have to look into it. Is there 70,000 abortions that happen a day? So the question of fact, no one tells me it's a sin. Well, it's true. God doesn't commit sin. And we just said, God can take a life anytime he wants. But another question is, is God the one who's causing that life to be taken? Is he literally causing like, is the miscarriage God supernaturally causing an abortion? You know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. I, is there other things in play going on? Um, so it, it's just, it's fascinating to me that it's just assumed in the tweet that if a miscarriage occurs, that must be God kind of intervening in an yeah. abortion of some kind. And I think we make a distinction between elective abortion and miscarriage. Those are two different things. I mean, there's there's a lot that could be cashed out in this, again, in this one tweet. But I, I, I think a, a big point is when God kills, if God is killing in this situation, um, that is different than a human killing another human. Okay? Mm-hmm. One is called murder and the other is killing. I mean, we've got to, it's, it's true. But the question is, can God, the creator of the universe, take a life? And I, I mean, I just don't see why God couldn't do that um, as the creator. 
Um, there are certain things God gets to do. Maybe this is a better way to put it. I'm just kind of thinking on my feet here. But there are certain things God gets to do that we don't get to do. And all of a sudden, and people immediately, it's like, oh, double standard or whatever. No, God's a different being. You know, God can do things that we just don't have the prerogative. We don't get to, we don't get to do. He's God. I mean, and the same is true with parents and children. Parents can do things that they tell their children not to do. It's not a double standard. It's it's of a completely course. different <laughs> position of authority. We can That's put it right. that way, and, and it, it makes the point clear that God is in a different yeah, point yeah. of authority than us. He's That's right. So when I uh, might get myself into trouble, but if I were to uh, hypothetically spank my daughter, that doesn't mean my kids get to go spank each other or hit each other. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like. Mm-hmm. There's a different, there's different things in play here. Um, but if, you know, the kid says, well, you hit my butt. And so I'm going to go hit off. No, that's not how this works. Yeah. Daddy and mommy get to do things that you don't get to do. I get to drink. I get to drive. I get to do, I you know, not at the same time, but you know what I'm saying? Like there are things <laughs> that, that, that adults get to do that kids don't get to do. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think we understand that when it comes to lots of the things and it also applies to even more so in the case of when we're talking about God versus the creature. So um, that would be a good start, man. Some of those, I, I should um, maybe actually get the red pen. And, well, and, hey, uh, go for it. I, I dropboxed you the link to them. So they're all sweet, there. Sweet, sweet. Uh, thank you awesome. so much for being on it. Thank you so much also for going over the time. I think this is the longest I've ever had gone over of, of an interview. They're usually just an hour. Uh, so okay. thank you so much. It means a lot. Yeah, I'm long-winded. So I don't know if you want to turn into two podcasts or what, but, uh, yeah, usually people... whenever, it, whenever it gets, it gets over 40 minutes or even yeah. 30, yeah. sometimes I usually split it in, into two. Uh, sorry for, for keeping you so long. No, no, it's been fun. I, uh, I hope that, I hope that our listeners, um, find that there's a lot of practical takeaways in, mm-hmm. in how you engage the minds of our students. And then even, you know, watching us kind of go back and forth on some of these tweets, we don't need to be intimidated. I mean, some some people might read these first first time read through and think, wow, how do I even begin? But mm-hmm. you just, I mean, this is how the the process works. You're literally watching it. It's it's like making hamburger or something, you know, or making sausage. It's not pretty, but you're kind of just, okay, what's going on here? Line by line. And and okay. And what's the most important thing that needs to be said? Because oftentimes in a response that we where we read pen, you can't say everything. And yeah. so what's the main point or what, what are the two main points that I can, I can make on this graphic that someone could take away? Awesome. So there you go. Awesome. Well, there might be some parent or youth pastor or pastor out there who's a little bit intimidated because they haven't engaged with these they haven't challenged the minds of our students or engaged them yeah. uh they've been one maybe a just have faith person which mm-hmm. if you are and you're listening no condemnation at all we we love you and we also want you to know the truth of our sure, faith sure. in that regard as well so is there any encouragement that you can give to them as we uh end the show yeah, I would just say if you're if that's a place you're coming from, um, yeah, you're right. We're not condemning you. I know lots of people who um, have uh, 
a faith that is very experiential, emotional. They don't think very deeply about some of this other stuff. They don't want to engage in that stuff. Okay, but if you want to engage where our students are currently at, then you you need to start jumping in with both feet um, into this world. Not just for your benefit, but for their benefit. We need you to have a relationship with your kids. We're not downplaying that. Um, relationship is so, so important, but so is knowing the truth and defending it. Mm -hmm. And um, so my encouragement would be to, you don't have to learn everything overnight. I will probably, you know, until I the, my last breath, be learning some new things, okay? Um, so uh, don't be overwhelmed by that, but just start with today. What am I gonna learn today? Uh, maybe I'm gonna open up a book and read you know, 10 pages and mm -hmm. learn something. I'm going to go to God's word, check the scriptures um, and see if these things like the Bereans are so. And the Bereans were more noble because they did that. Um, so that's what we want to do. And just take it one day at a time, grow, engage your own mind. Because what I find is you can't engage the mind of your student if you don't have your own engaged. Um, so it starts with you, uh, but be encouraged. You can do this. You can do this too. Um, and so that might be a good place to leave off. Well, everybody, you've heard from Tim Barnett, also known as Mr. B. Uh, thank you again for being on the show. Uh, and we hope to have you again soon. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us today on Defending Christianity Podcast. I hope and pray that you were encouraged and strengthened in your faith. And if you're someone who's seeking truth, I hope and pray that you have gotten closer to that because Jesus is the truth. Join us next time on the Defending Christianity Podcast. God bless.